Good evening. How is everybody today? Uh, I'm just having them give out some blank pieces of paper uh, in case you want to take some notes tonight, and I'll tell you what to write down as we go along. I'm going to have you turn with me a moment to Matthew 7 before we begin in prayer. Matthew 7. And folks, uh, the reason I've been doing what I've been doing, going through Howard Hendricks' book, Living by the Book, by starting with the doctrine of the inspiration of Scripture, which leads to, what did we say inspiration leads to? The doctrine of inerrancy, which means uh, the Bible is accurate in all that it says. So inspiration leads to inerrancy. Uh, but then what I wanted to do, uh, beginning about week three, we started talking about how to study the Bible. Because if we talk about the inspiration of the Scripture and the inerrancy of the Scripture and don't study it, we've not really accomplished a lot, right? Uh, the goal of Bible study is what? Transformation. And so I've just been trying to give you some very practical steps to help you study uh, the Scripture more effectively. Listen to what Jesus said in Matthew uh, chapter 7, verse 24. Jesus said, Everyone then who hears these words of mine and does them will be like a wise man who built his house on the rock. And the rain fell, and the floods came, and the winds blew and beat on that house, but it did not fall because it had been founded on the rock. And everyone who hears these words of mine and does not do them will be like a foolish man who built his house on the sand, and the rain fell, and the floods came, and the winds blew and beat against that house, and it fell, and great was the fall of it. So what's Jesus demanding there when, you know, we talked about observation, interpretation, and application. So what's he talking about here? Application. And that's what we're going to address tonight. Application. Who would open our time in prayer and remember the pecs as you do so? Who would do that? Brother Wayne uh, volunteered for us. Thank you, Wayne. I volunteered him. Amen. First of all tonight, if you're taking notes, let's begin talking about the value. Oops. Of application. 
And let's go back to that verse that we have been reading just about every week out of 2 Timothy 3. Uh, Paul writes there, All Scripture is breathed out by God and profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, and for training in righteousness, that the man of God may be competent, equipped for every good work. We see the nature of the Word of God there is the fact that it is the inspired Word of God. And then we see the nurturing effect of it, what it does in our lives so that we might be able to be equipped for every good work. And so what we see there in 2 Timothy 3 is life change. Life change. Folks, the Bible was not simply written to satisfy your curiosity. Are we a curious people? You better believe it. But the Bible wasn't simply written to satisfy your curiosity or my curiosity. It wasn't simply written to give us a bunch of information. Do we need information? Yes, we do. But why was the Bible written? For transformation. So that our lives will be changed. Application may be, I'm going to put here, application may be the single most neglected aspect of Bible study. Application may be the single most neglected aspect of Bible study. And yet it's certainly most needed in the process. Americans say by a percentage of something like 85% now that they are Christian. When Americans are interviewed, are you a Christian? Yes, I'm a Christian. But then look at the shape of the nation. Crime is everywhere. Lying, cheating, adultery, sexual sin of all sorts, fraud, murder, rape, suicide, abortion. I mean, on and on and on we could go. In a country where 85% of the people say, I'm Christian. There, wouldn't you agree there's a disconnect? Yes, cultural Christians as opposed cultural Christians as opposed to transformed Christians. Yeah. Uh, I mean, think about it. D divorce rates in America. Divorce rates among those in the church are actually higher than those outside of the church. So church attendance may be dangerous to your marriage. <laughs> Not really. I'm, please. I'm kidding. That's a joke. But it's pretty sad, is it not? When, when, when marriages are falling apart at a higher... I mean, it's not much. 
But it's still higher. It's like a percentage point higher in the church than among those outside of the church. Folks, there's a disconnect. There's something wrong. That's true too, certainly. Too much Bible study begins and ends in the wrong place. It, it begins with interpretation, maybe, observation, interpretation, and it stops there. Now, we've seen you don't begin with interpretation. What do you begin with? Observation. You don't attempt to answer the question, what does it mean, until you answer the question first, what does it actually say? You start there. And then you move on to talking about what does it mean. But then, discovering what it means, what do you and I need to move on to do? How does it apply to my life? The whole point of Bible study is to arrive at that last point and put it into practice. Listen to what Paul says in Titus. Titus chapter 1, verse 1, he says, Paul, a servant of God, an apostle of Jesus Christ, for the sake of the faith of God's elect and their knowledge of the truth, which accords... With godliness. And then over in chapter 2, verse 9, he, he says, uh, I think I've written down the reference wrong there. But anyway, in chapter 2, certainly he's talking about uh, a knowledge of the truth that leads to what? Godliness. By applying the truth. By applying the truth in their everyday lives, he goes on in the book of Titus to say that they will adorn the gospel well with their lives. What's going to happen if somebody knows at work that you are a Christian, and yet while they know that you say that you're a Christian, maybe you've got the filthiest mouth, the filthiest jokes, maybe you're unfaithful in your marriage, on and on I could go with that. What are they going to conclude? That you're one of the 85%. That you're one of the 85%, many of whom word only. But my point is, you're not going to be adorning the gospel very well, are you? Again, what's Paul say to Titus? God gives us, he supplies us with the knowledge of the truth so that we will live obedient lives and we will adorn the gospel well. Somebody, somebody may say, but I've been through the Bible ten times. But the question is, has the Bible been through you? The Bible isn't meant to, to just intellectually entice us or excite us you know you can you can get mentally excited by the truth and not morally changed by it 
mentally excited and not morally changed. Let's talk secondly about substitutes. Substitutes for application. Can y'all see that okay on this board? Hmm? Okay. Again, going back to what I said initially, we substitute interpretation for application. We settle for knowledge rather than experience. I've told you before on Sunday morning about the tragic story of Kitty Genovese. Do you remember the story of Kitty Genovese? Anybody remember that story? Okay. What's the story have to do with? Well, it's, it's almost a type of Samaritan uh, application thing. She was brutally murdered, and none of her neighbors did anything. Yes. Brutally murdered in New York, in New York City. And uh, in the aftermath of the crime, reporters began going around and interviewing her neighbors. And 38 people had witnessed the attack. 38 people. 38 neighbors who had witnessed one of their neighbors being raped and murdered, brutally murdered. And not one person got involved to do a single thing. Yes, this has been decades ago. So psychologists after that have given it a name. You know, psychologists name everything, right Drew? You, you may know about this, right? Uh, the Genovese syndrome, where we uh, are by, it's also known as bystanders' apathy. You recognize that one? Okay. Where we can witness something, even witness something very tragic, and nobody wants to roll up their sleeves and do anything. That's the tragedy of knowledge that does not end in responsibility. From cover to cover, the Bible teaches that the moment you know God's truth, the ball is now in your court. What are you going to do with it? You're responsible for putting it into action. Jesus said in Luke 6, 46, Why do you call me Lord, Lord, and do not do the things that I tell you? In Matthew 7, 22, uh, Jesus had been teaching there about different ways, two ways, you know, the, 
the gates and the, you know, the contrast there. And, and he was talking there about those who say they know him. And they say, Lord, Lord. And yet he will say to them in the day of judgment, depart from me. I never knew you. You who practice iniquity. And then that parable that I just read about the two kinds of builders. There's the one kind of builder that Jesus is talking about. That is is likened to the person who hears his words. Does nothing with them to act on them. And is like the builder who builds on sand. And all the storms come. And the house is demolished. And then the one who has his words puts it into action. He said is like the builder who builds on the rock. The storms come. The winds blow. The rains fall. And the house stands. It's been built on the rock. Both people heard. Both people heard. But that's where the similarity stopped. One hears, does nothing with it. One hears and acts on it. Sure. Right. Absolutely. How would you like to be in a church fifty plus years maybe or, or something and then realize suddenly you do not know the God of the universe as he requires? And tragically it happens all the time. You know? You know, Jesus gave the illustration of the scribes and Pharisees of his day. They had all the data. They had all the information. They had the prophets. They had the Old Testament scriptures. They knew all about it. But you you know, one thing that strikes me, even when we talk about the birth of Jesus, when the wise men come to them and, and ask Hey, where is the Messiah to be born? Where's the Christ to be born? We've seen his star and we've come to worship him. They're able to give the wise men all of the right answers. But they do not even go themselves to investigate. That story has always blown my mind. They knew they could... And here are men who are saying we've seen this star... They don't even bother to go and investigate for themselves. You might say that their knowledge had created uh, a lack of responsibility in them. No wonder Jesus said to, to his disciples, unless your righteousness exceeds that of the scribes and Pharisees, you will not enter into the kingdom of heaven. Their righteousness was external. 
It, it was based on facts. But there was no life change. They had God's truth. They just didn't do anything with it. Well, we substitute superficial obedience for substantive life change. We substitute superficial obedience for substantive life change. This is where we apply scripture to those areas that suit us and then leave other areas untouched. Are there areas of the scripture that really kind of get you, that kind of find you out where you live? You know what I'm talking about? Makes you kind of uncomfortable when you read them, right? You, you change from saying amen to oh my. What might you tend to do with those sections of scripture? We'll kind of ignore those, won't we? Let me, let me read something I like better. Or we do some selective obedience like Ephesians 4.25 that talks about honesty. Being honest with our, with our lips and with our language. And yet here's a, here's a man that maybe he's a salesman and he's competing against cutthroat colleagues and he's got to meet quotas and all that kind of stuff. And he, he says, you know what? I, you know, hey, I'm honest with my wife and kids and I'm honest about this and that. But if I'm honest at work, hey, I'm going to be left behind and I'm going to be in trouble with my boss. Selective obedience. We also substitute rationalization for repentance. Rationalization for repentance. Anytime we start saying, but you don't understand what I'm up against. You can know that the next thing out of your mouth is going to be a rationalization, right? When you know God is wanting you to change, maybe somebody, a friend or a family member even points it out and you say, but you don't understand my situation. That ought to be a telltale sign. We substitute an emotional experience for a volitional decision. An example there, we love the Sunday school teacher who can pull our chain. We go to his class or her class, we're overwhelmed with the lesson. We go up afterwards, say, that's one of the best lessons I have ever heard in my life. Two days later, ask that person, what was the lesson on? And they struggle to tell you. I've actually done that with people before. Going out to eat with meeting other people, going out to eat, who go to different churches. Man, our preacher preached the Best sermon today. Oh, really? What was it on? 
I kid you not. I'm thinking of a very specific, okay, what was it on? And the woman turned to her husband and said, I was just telling him about the song. Oh, man, yeah, Scott, that was the best sermon our preacher preached today. And she looked at him and said, what was it on? And he was kind of like, neither one of them could tell me what the sermon was on that they had just left from hearing 30 minutes earlier and they said it was the best sermon they'd ever heard in their life. (laughs) Amen. (laughs) Dave's amen in me. What happens in a case like that? We make an emotional decision. You know, Jesus talked about that in the parable of the soils, right? That emotional response. We get overjoyed hearing about the Word of God. And and there's this emotional response. But we don't really stop to take it all in and count the cost. Oh, it touched our hearts. It made us cry or it made us laugh or it made us feel good. But it just didn't change us in any way. If you leave church or you leave Sunday school and the Word of God doesn't touch you in some way to help change you or grow you or transform you, there's a problem. Howard Hendricks tells... One time when he was preaching on the importance of Christians evangelizing the world and beginning right where they are. And he said there was a young couple in his congregation. They went home and they had lunch and they put their small kids down for for a nap. They went back into their living room and they got their Bibles out and their notes on that message again. And they began pouring over what the pastor had said about the Great Commission and applying to them and and how they need to take the gospel to the world. They looked out the door and they saw a neighbor there and they knew he didn't go to church. They suspected he was lost. He was out mowing his grass. And they made a decision that afternoon. That man went over and talked to him and invited he and his wife over. They struck up a friendship with that couple right across the road from them. And several months down the road, they had the opportunity of leading that couple to faith in Christ. Because, see, they went home, and that sermon on the Great Commission, they started talking together. What are we going to do with that? How are we going to apply that? When they saw that guy across the road. What do you call that? That's application. They didn't make just an emotional decision. They purposed they were going to do something with it. You know, you hear a sermon on prayer. What changes are you going to make in your life on a daily basis so you can give yourself to the to the privilege of prayer. What kind of disciplines are you going are, are you going to restructure anything in your day so that you can pray? If not, then according to the scripture we've heard but we've not done anything with it and what's James say in James chapter 1 if we're hearers of the word and only hearers and not doers, we've deceived ourselves. 
folks, I want you to think about what James is saying, the subtle nature, and we've all been guilty of it. Every single one of us has been guilty of it. We hear something in a Bible study. We hear something in a sermon. We hear something in the Sunday school class, and it really speaks to us, but we don't do anything with it. We have deceit. We've set ourselves up for a deception. And it's dangerous, isn't it? If that's our practice, we hear something, we don't make real life change with it, and, that's our, and that becomes kind of a habit in our lives, we're, we're, we're deceiving ourselves. Again, when the Word of God confronts us and we hear it, it's not just for entertainment quality. It's not just for information's sake. It is for transformation. And so you and I have to stop and think about what we've read, what we've studied, what we've heard, and then we've got to start asking, what am I going to do with it? And if we don't, then we've stopped short of God's goal in giving us His Word to begin with. Well, by the way, while she's asking that question, everybody do me a huge favor tonight. Phones are going off everywhere in here, dinging and beeping and all. Um, people, go ahead and silence your phones if you don't mind. It's playing with my mind tonight. I'm sorry. It's just me. Concentration. Go ahead. Well, I mean, ultimately that's in God's hands. But I, I don't think it's bad with somebody famous that we know that's come out of a different lifestyle just to kind of say, let's, let's wait and see if it's real or not. I know it used to really bother uh, the senior pastor I used to serve under over in Gastonia before coming here. It used to really bother Ned a great deal that Christians... And these even famous evangelists, some of the most famous evangelists around the world at their meetings would parade before the, the audience 
these famous people who had come to Christ. And it used to bother him because so oftentimes he'd seen it. A year or two down the road, that person has done something outlandish to even turn away from Christ. And he just didn't think that in the church we needed to instantly be grabbing a hold of famous people and putting them out there before the Christian community had had seen their lifestyle for a period of time, enough time to say, this person's faith is real. And, and we, can, we can so oftentimes jump on somebody's testimony when we see a, a, a changed life like that, and then a couple months later they do something and it's an embarrassment. Sure. They have a child, a teenager, who's a great fan, you know, look what he's doing, and then, you know. Yeah. What do you think? Sure. Well, it's just like a parent with their own child if they come to faith in the Lord. You, you kind of, as a parent, say, well, we'll, we'll take them at face value right now, but we'll, we'll kind of continue to talk to them, work with them, and wait and see. You know, I don't think that's bad to in a sense, say, we'll kind of wait and see. You know, have they really understood what it means to count the cost? But anyway. Well, um, Mm -hmm. yeah, well, that's true. That's true. That's how long it was with him, wasn't it? Listen to James 1, uh, beginning in verse 22. Again, I, I quoted this a moment ago. But be doers of the word and not hearers only, deceiving yourselves. For if anyone is a hearer of the word and not a doer, he's like a man who looks intently at his natural face in a mirror. For he looks at himself and goes away and at once forgets what he was like. But the one who looks into the perfect law, the law of liberty, and perseveres, being no hearer, who forgets about, who forgets, but a doer who acts, he will be blessed in his doing. The Word of God is like a mirror that does what? It exposes all of our faults. But to the hearer only, he's the guy looking in the mirror in the morning thinking, you know, I'm a mess this morning. I need to shave. I need to uh, wash and comb my hair and style it. But yet this guy doesn't do that. The mirror has exposed what he needs to do. But then he walks out of the bathroom, throws on his clothes, walks out the door without doing anything. Too often we have Christians reading the Bible being exposed to the Bible in some way, looking into it. It's a mirror that's exposing in their life what needs to be exposed. And they're saying, boy, I'm guilty of that one. They close their Bible. They go on about their life and they don't do anything about it. They're just like the person who's looked in the mirror and that's all they've done.
Well, I mean, that shows the ongoing need of transformation in all of our lives. We never get to the point. I don't care how mature we are in Christ. We never get to the point that we can say, I've had enough transformation. I can just start studying the Bible now for fun, and I don't have to worry about what it exposes in my life. We constantly need transformation. James goes on in verse 25 uh, again to say, But the one who looks into the perfect law, the law of liberty, and perseveres, being no hearer who forgets, but a doer who acts, underscore this uh, last phrase here in verse 25, he will be blessed in his doing. Do you remember what Jesus said about that on one occasion? In the upper room, when he washed the disciples' feet, he took the the towel and the basin of water, and he said, I've given you an example of how you need to serve one another. What did Jesus end by saying? You'll be blessed if you do it. Jesus had, Jesus had just given them the illustration of what to do. And remember, Simon Peter objected. Lord, you're not going to wash my feet. And Jesus said, well, if I don't wash you, you don't have any part with me. And Simon Peter said, well, not my feet only, but, but my head and my whole body. And Jesus said, well, he who's had a bath doesn't need that, just needs his feet washed. Coming in off the dusty roads back then wearing sandals. But then Jesus went on, like I say, that unit of Scripture, he closed by saying, You call me Lord, and so I am. And you know that a servant is not greater than the master. If you've seen the master wash your feet, you will be blessed if you obey what I've told you. Just like James is saying, Jesus is saying the same thing. The blessing in our lives comes by doing. Not just having your quiet time every day, but doing what it says. Do you need your quiet time every day? Absolutely. But you got to do what it says. The blessing from God comes when we do what it says. Is that easy? No. And we all struggle. We all do battle in that area. Okay, four steps in application. Number one, no. No. If you want to apply the Bible, you need to know the text. Again, this goes back to understanding it. You've got you've to discover through observation and then interpretation what it's saying. If you don't discover what it's saying, you're not going to be able to do it. I mean, that's pretty obvious, right? Secondly, relate. We must relate the Bible to us. Why do I say that? It's about men and women who lived a long, long time ago. Does that mean that the Bible is locked away into the past? No. What did Paul say to the Corinthians? Paul said to the Corinthians that everything that's happened before 
He, he's carrying the Corinthians back in, in chapter 10 of 1 Corinthians about the saints of old. And he's talking about events back there in the Old Testament. And what's Paul say about what happened to them and their lives? What's he say? Their lives are an example, continue to be today an example to us. What happened to them, how God spoke to them and how God used them is a testimony of how God uses you and me today. He he said to them, the things written are for our benefit. And so the Bible speaks about a new relationship to God. It speaks about a new relationship that we have to others once we become believers. The Word of God exposes your sin. It gives you promises. It gives you commands. And it gives you examples to follow. It gives you all of those things. Again, it's the relationship to Him, the relationship to others... It exposes your sin, it gives you God's promises, it gives you commands, and it gives you examples. The Bible tells you all of that. And so you have to relate it to yourself. You you have to see that God, when I pick up my Bible and I read about God dealing with Moses, you know what, God is speaking to me today through that. Thirdly, We need to meditate. We need to meditate. Psalm 1 talks about the value when we're reading and studying the Scripture that we slow down long enough to stop and reflect on it and meditate on it. Because we've got to really let it sink in. And then fourthly, Practice. Always walk away from your study with some kind of application. Some kind of application. How can can I put this passage into practice in my life? Okay, questions to ask to encourage application. Number one, is there an example for me to follow? Okay. Back up before number one, ask number four. Okay. After you said, um, how can I put this into practice? Mm hmm. Uh, Questions to ask to encourage application. Is there an example for me to follow? Secondly, is there a sin to avoid? Thirdly, is there a promise to claim? Fourth, is there a prayer to offer? 
Fifth, going too fast? Is there a promise to claim? Is there a prayer to offer? So, for example, how could that Bible passage you're reading, how would, how would that passage impact your prayer life? If you're praying about things in that Bible text, how can that, that Bible text there help you in your prayer? Does it have some, the, a light to shine on how you pray so that you will be praying biblically? Uh, fifth, is there a command to obey? Sixth, is there a condition to meet? Like when Jesus said, if you abide in me and my words abide in you, ask what you will and it will be done for you. People say, you know, Jesus just tell me I can ask for whatever I want to. No, Abide in Him and Him in you. Because if you're truly abiding in Him and His Word is abiding in you, then you're only going to be asking for that which is going to honor and glorify Him to begin with, right? Seventh, is there a verse to memorize? Eighth, is there a challenge to face? For instance, how do I deny myself? How do I pick up my cross? How do I follow Christ? In, in my life situation right now, in my relationships at work, how do I deny myself? How do I pick up my cross? How do I follow Christ? Moving on. Can, can I, you okay if I move on? Okay. Think also about principles. Principles are wonderful things. And what I mean by that is this. Understand that the Bible does not address every specific situation that you will ever face. It does in principle form. But what I mean by that is if the Bible, if every scenario you ever faced, if there was a chapter and a verse on that thing specifically with your name on it, all the trains and trucks in the world could not carry the Bible big enough to include all that. Larry's looking at me confused. <laughs> Think with me a minute. What, what, what do I mean by that? When I say it doesn't, you're not going to find every single thing that you'll face every day and night of, of your life. What I mean by that is... 
If you go for a cup of coffee in the morning with a coworker, Bill, when you go in the morning for a cup of coffee with Bill, here's what you're to say. Here's what you're not to say. If the Bible, if the Bible had a chapter and a verse for you about every single thing you were going to do every day, everybody you were going to encounter, every situation, all the trains in the world would not be able to carry the amount of pages it would take. Right? So what does the Bible do oftentimes? If, there, if it's not a command like the Ten Commandments, there are principles in the Bible to live by. Principles. Now, are there principles that apply to every scenario in your life? Yes. But I just simply mean oftentimes you have, you have to uncover in a text what the principle is in that text that God would have you to live by. If there's not a command in there, how does God, what's the principle in this text that God, what's the truth, the big picture truth that God wants me living by according to this verse or this passage right here? And, and God does address everything in your life when you look at it that way. That's true. But the principle says, don't be angry. Don't use abusive language. Don't name cause. Don't get revenge. The principle's there. A plus. Exactly what I meant. Did you hear, Karen? A plus. <laughs> okay. Uh, procedures to keep in mind as I seek to apply. Procedures to keep in mind as I seek to apply. What is the doctrinal teaching of this passage? Is, is this passage elaborating on a particular doctrinal issue in the Bible? Secondly, have I consulted the whole counsel of God on this topic? Some people will reach and grab a little verse out of one little place in the Bible and they will run with that without consulting what the whole counsel of God says on that topic. And that's dangerous to do. That's why we have trust. Yep, exactly. A third procedure to keep in mind. Am I reading a preconceived bias into my application? 
Am I reading a preconceived bias into my application? You might have been taught something all your life that everybody around you meant well by teaching you that. But it may not be it may not be accurate up next to the scripture. And you go into that passage knowing what you've been taught about a certain thing. And yet it's not what the Bible teaches. And so Right. God helps those who help themselves. Boy, that's something we, you know. All these little preconceived notions that we carry to our Bible study that aren't really in the Bible. Oh, sure. Absolutely. Absolutely. We all have biases that we bring to our Bible study. Uh, and are, are, we, are we laying those aside long enough to say, what is the Scripture here actually teaching me? Okay, uh, just some helpful steps of, of where do I begin with application. Make up your mind where you need to change and then determine to do something about it. Make a decision to change. Maybe some small baby steps. Have some clearly defined action steps. The more clear that you are on those action steps, the more likely you're going to be to do them. Fuzzy objectives lead to fuzzy results. Going back to that illustration earlier about that couple evangelizing. If you say that you need to evangelize more, you might have a hard time. But if you say there's John and Mary across the street and I know they're unsaved, you know, that's, that's an objective to start with, right? So again, some clearly defined goals and objectives on that text that you're studying. How can I start applying this and start small? Even some baby steps and measurable. If, if it's something that is measurable. You know, for instance, if you say, I need to pray. I need to pray more. Okay? What are you going to do about it tomorrow? 
is there a time of the day that's going to work best for you? Are you going to set aside some time? Are you going to put your phone away, your iPad away? Are you going to get alone with God? Are you going to carve out some time to do that? You know, you've got to start. You've got to, you've got to take some action steps and clearly define things and, and just simply do it. It's, it's not rocket science, is it? So make a decision to change. Secondly, I'm already kind of bleeding over into this. Come up with a plan. For example, you want to read through the New Testament? Great. You probably don't want to start with the book of Revelation. You know, maybe start with some of the smaller, easier books to read. Study those. And and then move on to some of those books that are going to be much more involved after you've developed some skills of, of studying. And then lastly, just simply follow through. And with follow through, if there's some kind of system of accountability, somebody that will hold you accountable, some way that you can hold yourself accountable, do that. Uh, If to do Bible study, you need to meet with somebody, then guess what? Meet with somebody. If that meeting with somebody is going to keep your feet to the fire, that you're going to do it. So follow through. Now, folks, I don't know if, if you get much more elementary than what I've given you tonight, right? Very basic. Kindergarten, just ABC type stuff. Any questions or comments? We always run out of time. I've got more material than I can share with you. Well, we're not done yet. We've got next Sunday night, and then we'll be done, so we'll need to wrap up. But again, observation, interpretation, and application. You're not done until you've done application. What are you going to do with it? Because again, if you're here only, what have you done? According to James, you've deceived yourself. You've deceived yourself. Bible study and Bible knowledge can make us feel good. But then have I done anything with it? That's true with all the... Absolutely. Now, folks, uh, one thing I've been struggling with, there is so much more in this that I have time 
to tell you on Sunday nights. Everything I've been telling you in here comes out of this book, Living by the Book, by Howard Hendricks. Howard Hendricks and his son, William Hendricks, wrote this. It's a great resource. And everything I've told you, every point I've given you is in this book. And there's probably a page or two more on each thing I've given you in here. And he's going to go into greater detail showing you how you can do, do some of this. Okay? So I would encourage you, you know, go on Amazon.com and get Living by the Book by Howard Hendricks. And the little mailman person will bring it right to your doorstep. You know? Okay, let's close in prayer. Father, we thank you for your word. And Lord, all of us, speaking of all of us, we don't read it and study it like we should. And none of us apply it the way we should. But Lord, remind us every day that you didn't give us your word just simply so we would leave church on a Sunday morning saying that was a great message and not doing anything with it. Or to start our day with a devotional reading, then we go out the door and we don't have a plan to do anything with that passage. Lord, help us to see that everything we read in your word, we need to apply. Uh, our lives need to be transformed by the gospel. Lord, help us with that. Even in just little baby steps every day, help us to put your word into practice so that we won't be the person who is deceiving ourselves. Thinking how much we know or how much we've grown when we're not really putting it into practice. Lord, help us to be doers. Help us to be examples to others. We pray these things in Jesus' name.